Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I have another fellow West Virginian. I'm excited about this. It's not often that I get fellow West Virginians on the podcast. Now, let me tell you a little something about this, though. For me to get to Dana would take about five hours, five to five and a half hours in the car. Because the way our state is designed, I am on the very western tip of West Virginia. I'm about 20 minutes from the Ohio and Kentucky borders. And and I live in what's called a tri-state area. And Dana lives in an area that if you if you if you go 20 miles in either direction, if you take Interstate 81 out of Winchester, Virginia, you'll go right through Martinsburg, right up to Hagerstown. If you drive a little further, she lives in a four-state area cuz if you drive a little further, you'll be in Pennsylvania. But that's where she lives. She lives in what's called the Eastern Panhandle. She is a business owner. Her husband is the mayor of Martinsburg, West Virginia. She is also someone that, that is an inspirational speaker as well. And you can go to her website, DanaKnowlesInspires.com. That's D-A-N-A-K-N-O-W-L-E-S Inspires. DanaKnowlesInspires.com. But guess what, folks? You can find her right here, right now, on the Intentional Encourager podcast, my guest, Dana Knowles. Dana, how are you today? I'm great. And it is so exciting to be talking to a fellow West Virginian. And you do live so far away. West Virginia is such a, a strange shaped state. I can be in New York City quicker than I can be in the state capital of Charleston. Uh, but it's great right. to be here and I'm doing great. And I live I live right outside of Huntington. So for her, it's an, it's an additional about 40 minutes to get to, to where I am. So, yeah, and, and she, she's absolutely right. I can be, now here's some perspective. I can be in Charlotte, North Carolina. I can be in Cleveland, Ohio. I can be in Louisville, Kentucky, in Lexington, Kentucky. I can be in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I can be in southwestern Virginia in less time than I can be in Martinsburg, West Virginia. <laughs> I can be in Cumberland, Maryland in less time than I, it would take me to get to Martinsburg. And Martinsburg's near, for, for full disclosure, Martinsburg's near and dear to my heart because I've covered that area in, in, in several roles that I've been in in my career. So I know that area very well and enjoy it. And let's start here for some perspective. You and I live in the same state, but the last 18 months... 18 to 20 months have been very different because your area is vastly different than my area. And again, if you take a look at our state, if you take the Northern Panhandle, the Wheeling, West Virginia area, they have a tri-state area as well. They have, uh, they have Ohio. If you take interstate 70, they, they have Ohio, they have West Virginia, and then they have Washington, Pennsylvania. So that part of the state's different. Southern West Virginia, in the, in the Beckley, Princeton, Bluefield areas are much different. Even over toward the Greenbrier, 
Many of you know where the Greenbrier is. You've heard of the Greenbrier. That's a different area of the state. Walk me through the last 20 months or so in the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia, how you guys dealt with COVID and maybe you personally, maybe some lessons that you've learned around it that you're going to carry forward even after the pandemic is over. Yeah, I'd love to. And, you know, the state of West Virginia was hit, well, like everywhere, was hit very hard with COVID. I own a tuxedo rental business in Martinsburg, West Virginia. I used to be downtown, and I'm just a little tiny bit out of the city, but still in the city. And I was ramping up, and business as usual, everything's going along, everything's business as usual. Um, In the tuxedo rental business, if and I'm not very many people are familiar with it, but we have a certain season, which is called prom season, which is like Black Friday into Christmas season for retail. This is where our biggest, one of our biggest times of the year is, you know, with the kids coming in for prom, we, in the Eastern Panhandle, we have five major schools that we supply tuxedos to. Mm-hmm. And we started uh, in... We start our kickoff of our advertising, sending coupons out and mailers out and all this. And they were sitting all on the table, ready to go, April 1st. So for some perspective, let me jump in there, for some perspective. So I remember, you know, for most people, it was mid-March of 2020. As we record today in the first part of November, that's why Dana mentions Black Friday. How early in the year when, when, so... When, when the new year rolled over in January, I want to get some perspective around this into your own situation. How early do you begin to prepare for prom season? In other words, selecting um, what styles you're going to carry from your vendors, knowing what to what accessories to have on hand and things like that. How early did you begin that pro- or would you normally begin that process? Well, it begins the previous year because we have to be prepared with inventory, with styles, with colors. So it begins the previous year. But here at Dana Tuxedo, we're, we're a middleman between a big supplier that that's from Scranton, Pennsylvania, and then the consumer. We're the middleman. So I wasn't the one holding on to the inventory. It was the company up in Scranton. And then the customer comes to me, orders whatever, you know, design, color, style they want, and then I order it from a bigger company up in Scranton. But it starts in in the end of the previous year to begin to pick styles, and then January, the new styles roll out, and then we vamp up for what is our very first burst of business is prom season. Yeah. Uh, Wedding season's a little bit a couple months later, um, but we were just getting ready to send all the mailers out, do everything we needed to do. And we were on target to have the best prom season ever. We were going to break records. We had gotten into a couple new schools that we hadn't been able to get into before. And uh, the mailers were sitting on the table. Everything was ready to go. We're kicking it off April 1st because with the kids, you can't do it too early. You know, prom, prom in the Eastern Panhandle for me is the end of April, beginning of May. Yeah. And then they shut us down like that, like, like so many business, like that. It was one day we were ready to roll and the next day we were closed. And, and Dana, you know, in, in our state, 
Um, and again, I'm not going to get political here. I'm just, I'm going to tell you what happened in our state as we're talking. We had a governor in our state, and many of you have seen our governor. He's a big guy. He's a very large man. We call him Big Jimmy. He's, how tall is he? He's, he's six, eight, six, seven, six, six eight. And he's about yeah. 400 pounds. He's, he's, yeah. he's a he's giant a of a man. But here's what we noticed in West Virginia. I think our governor realized very early on the extreme that he went to in closing things because later he he didn't make those same decisions and 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 again i think that 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 it that learning and that understanding you mentioned the value of preparation this is why i wanted to bring this up and this is why i wanted to to go here i love what you said about the value of preparation right because i when i asked you you know, how early, because in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, January 1 should be plenty of time to get everything in place. You were like, no, that that's not it at all. We, we were preparing even before. So that really spoke to me about, um, and, and, I, I, and I appreciate what you said because it's so true, the value of preparation. And I felt like in our state that we were kind of always playing from behind kind of always trying to figure it out, kind of always, I don't think we were as prepared as a state, and we, we have a state of 1.8 million people. I don't feel like we were as prepared as we needed to be. As you navigated through that, how key was the preparation that you had put into place before and having your mind geared in that direction? How did that help you navigate through uncharted waters? Because I love the value of preparation. I, I'm I'm somebody that likes to be prepared. And I sense that in you as well, that that preparation helped you kind of navigate through those. Am I misreading that or, or, or did that come to fruition? Well, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody can prepare for a pandemic. Come on. Yeah. Like, it's not like our governor and I watched him diligently through the whole thing. You know, he was giving us almost daily reports of God, you know, the, the deaths and yeah. numbers. And, uh, you know, it's cut. It's, I look at it like we, nobody, no governor could go back to somebody who went through the last pandemic and said, Oh, Hey, how did you handle this? Hey, we were close. My wife's granddad was born in 1922. Okay. So we, you know, but, but he was 98 and kind of suffering from dementia. So no, no you, you no, make a very yeah. valid point. It, you know, how are we going to go back and say, well, what did you, what did you do the last time there was a pandemic and we had to shut down the whole state because we were scared people were, you know, we didn't know what, you know, nobody knew where this was going to go. Yeah. Nobody knew. We didn't know. You know, Dana, I, I'm glad you brought that up. It reminds me, and I've said this before, and it's a great thing to interject in, into our conversation today. For our generation, 9-11 mm -hmm. was that that moment for us. The the everybody knows where they were when 9-11 hit. And and I've said this before, our kids are gonna tell their kids where they were at the day that, that COVID-19 hit, with the day the world stopped for them. And I agree with you that that how do we prepare for a pandemic? But I also I also think there's great value for people like yourself that are in the preparation business 
that some of those core concepts kind of translate through what what people go through even as prepared as you are you you get sometimes you don't get the right shipments you and i were having a conversation one day yeah you and i so let me bring the, let me bring let me bring folks into to a let me make public kind of a private conversation you and i were talking about supply chain issues which we're having right now yeah you you were talking about and you said look you you told me you said brian the family that i was serving in this particular instance they didn't care that the, what the issues were, but they cared that we were going to do everything that we could yeah. to take care of them, that yeah. we were going to go above and beyond, that we were going to go the extra mile. And that's where I was getting at with, with the, the conversation about, about our state and our governor is I think people realized that, that we had to do things a little bit differently but that there was still no substitution for preparation that we could still, and you're prepared as a business owner, you know, that, that not everything is going to come in like it's supposed to, you have a wedding or you have a, a, a young man or a young lady, either looking at a prom dress or a tuxedo. They wanted that particular one. It's out of your control, but you're going to do things to adjust and adapt. Did you find yourself really tapping into those adaptability and adjustment skills through the last 18 months or so? Absolutely. And and when you say that we have to, I explain it like, and I've said this so many times, I picture myself, and I don't know if this sounds corny or weird, but I picture myself as a sailboat and I have to just adjust my sail to whichever way the wind is blowing. Because if I try to fight the wind, I'm not gonna get anywhere. <clears throat> And I learned, and I, I need to mention that story that, that you just talked about, uh, because I read your book, People Buy From People, and I enjoyed it so much, and that was the tactic, one of the tactics that I used when I had a bride that was coming in here that was panicking about, but our wedding's on Saturday, and, and it just has to be perfect, and I want my, and I, and I just looked her square in the eye, and I just said, I listened to every word she said while she was venting, because I look at my business like um, I, I said to my my manager, Rusty, I said, it's like being in the delivery room and the wife is, you know, the mother is yelling at you because she just kind of wants it out because everybody's done with it. And so we just have to patiently listen and we just have to adjust and adapt to whatever comes our way. And sometimes it's like owning a business, anybody who owns their own business, it's like playing a big game of whack-a-mole every day sometimes. Yeah. You know, what can go, you know, what's going to go wrong today? I've just expected things are going to go wrong. And I kind of embrace them because I'm a problem solver. But as far as I was not prepared for COVID, although I was financially prepared, but not for COVID. I was, you know, there's always, you know, in business, you should always have some, and I know my business is very seasonal. So I need to have X amount of dollars put over for my yeah. November, December, January, February, us being up in the Northern part of the state, that's our slower months. Cause a lot of people, there are weddings in the, in the winter, but not as many as in the of course, spring, summer and fall. And so financially I had prepared for my winter, you know, four months of a prudent reserve, but I didn't, not for a pandemic where it's, they're saying you're not opening, you can't open. And what, what people don't understand. And, and I explained this, I said, you know, my landlord still wants his rent. Yeah. My electric company still wants their electric. 
they, the internet can't be put on hold. The insurance can't be put on hold. So every month that I was closed down and so many businesses are like this, I'm not special. Every month I was getting more in debt and more in debt. And when we closed, the day we closed, and I, I have no debt in my business the day we closed. And I just kept seeing that debt roll and roll and roll. And I was, um, I would find myself panicking about that. Uh, you know, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And then I'm seeing other businesses closed down. The only thing I can say about our governor, whether you like him or whether you don't like him, he kept us informed almost yeah. daily. He yeah. would get on and let us know what was going on, especially I always listen to what 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 was the government doing for small businesses sure, in the form absolutely. of the PPP or the or grants or whatever it was. So I love I what you said there though. That. Let me jump in. I love what you said there because um there there's a theme developed into this conversation that I'm really fascinated about. And I love what you said about having that reserve in place. In my sales career, I called on a lot of businesses that were literally like most people going living from paycheck to paycheck. And they were struggling. And and to me, that's that's to me, I I, I believe why a lot of businesses closed because they never prepared for that moment when those things can happen. And I admire Dana. What I really admire about what you said was. Yes, things continued to get needed to get paid, but you had put away, you had stored in those good months when things were rolling, <laughs> you put away, you stored up, you prepared because you knew that November, December, January, February were not as profitable. They were not as productive. The volume wasn't there. And you had to your point, the rent doesn't change in November it's not it's not sales dependent you know there's no variance in sales you know the landlord could say hey when business is great i'm going to raise the rent because you you can afford it but yeah. but the, you, you know, the constants of the constants of the fixed cost of running business were always there no matter what the sales were and those fixed costs don't care what sales are at that moment mm -hmm. because they're they're going to be continuing to be constant and, and 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 that's what I that's the encouragement. It, it, look, folks, if if there is encouragement to be found here in the first ten minutes or so of this conversation, take encouragement in in being prepared. And I love what you said about fighting the wind. Let me let me just park there for just a minute before we take a break. When you felt like in those times where you weren't as busy, there weren't the proms happening, you were fighting the wind. How did you keep yourself encouraged professionally to continue to fight the wind? Well, I think um, I think we're going to get into a little bit of my story towards the end of this. We are, podcast. yes. But because um, I've I've struggled a lot in my life, that I'm able to bring back that in my mind. I'm able to bring back the worst times of my life. And say, and say to myself, this isn't one of them. This is a bump in the road. And there's a little prayer I say, and I used it. So, in fact, I remember talking to my friend saying, 
I don't know why I'm not crazy. I should be, I should be full of fear. I shouldn't be sleeping. I shouldn't be eating. Why am I so calm? I was very calm through COVID. Even though the business wasn't open, there was no, you know, no income coming in. I was getting more in debt as the months went by. But I kept, when I would get all fearful and all, like I couldn't breathe, like, like something was, cho- you know, choking me. And yeah. I would just say, God will provide. Okay, God will provide. If this is the worst that happens, it's not the end of the world, you know, because I'm a real believer in, you know, I, I need three things in life. I need food, I need shelter, and I need clothing. I don't need a tuxedo rental business. (laughs) I don't need three cars in the driveway. I don't need every Netflix and Hulu and all that. I don't, you know, I, all my needs are met. And so every time I would get all jammed up with full of fear from watching TV, I think we're, all of us were so glued to the TV. I had to kind of shut that off for a little bit because no matter if I watched the TV or didn't watch TV, it was still going on out there um, that I just would constantly remind myself that God will provide. It's going to be okay, no matter what. And I would talk myself, for lack of better words, down off the ledge of going into full-fledged fear. Um, Now, I'm a small little business, like hundreds of thousands of other small businesses that went through the same thing. I had, you know, one full-time employee, two part-time employees. Um, You know, of course, they were able to you know, the full-time employee was able to collect, so I didn't have to worry about that. Um, but I don't, honestly, sometimes I look back and say, I don't know how I got through it. Yeah. But I had that faith that everything was going to work out the way it worked out. You know, um, I was able to take care of the finance. You know, we got back to work a little bit, able to take care of some of the finances. But if it wouldn't have been for my faith, I don't know if I, because that's the only thing I had to rely on. That was it. I couldn't go out and get another job to make the money to pay for the bills. And so that's what I, that's how I got through it. I love that. I love that. And, and, and the note that I made there, the one thing you could rely on, and that is so, that is so good. Let's step aside, take a quick break. When we come back, I want to go a little bit deeper with what Dana was just talking about, about, really defining what a need is in your life. I also want to talk about um, what she does. Dana Knowles inspires. By the way, I failed to mention this in the intro. She's also an inventor. We're going to get into that in the next segment. And then later on, we're going to tell her story. My guest, Dana Knowles, joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers 
after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Dana, let's talk now about, you said this just a minute ago, and I love this. What you said was the things that we need. And, and, and it reminded me as we record this. Yesterday, I was at a Subaru dealership. I have a Subaru Forester. It's, a, it's an older model. It's a 2015 model. And I went there yesterday, and I was waiting. I was having some something done to the, to the car. And a, a, a young lady came by, and she was with their trade-in program, and she started to hand me a piece of paper mm -hmm. that, you know, hey, you can trade in your car. And I said, no, I'm good. I'm happy. And I I think I've realized in the last several months, especially as to your point about listening to the news and, oh, you know, we're not going to be able to get stuff for Christmas and, you know, food's going to get harder to, to buy and gas is getting more expensive. And, and I think to myself, what do I really need? Number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, I don't have to participate in these other things. And I love what you said about really defining what you need and what you don't need. Has that something, has, was that something that always came naturally to you? Or did you really sharpen that skill during the last year, year and a half or so when things were not as robust as they had been? That season of robustness that you were supposed to be in was not robust at all. You know, kind of take me through where you where you had that that epiphany or or that sharpening of that thought process because I love that you, you you and I are really thinking a lot alike here lately and I, I love that. Um, well, I've been practicing gratitude <laughs> for a long, long time, and probably when I get. And not that fear doesn't consume me, not that it doesn't overwhelm me, not that I don't get fearful. I'm not going to act as if I'm, oh, I'm never scared of nothing and everything's just great all the time. But when I begin to get jammed up, when I begin to get tensed up, when I begin to get full of fear, I've learned over the years, and I didn't do this just through COVID. I'm saying I've been practicing this for 20, over 20 years, just stepping back, taking the pause and saying, okay whoa, you know, kind of talking to myself, what, what's going on here? Why are you so jammed up with this? What's really going on and dissecting it a little bit, just, and it, it can only take 10 seconds. And, and, but I always go back to gratitude, gratitude for what I have and the things that I really need. I have all my needs met, food, clothing, shelter, everything else is icing on the cake. And that's how I've trained my mind over the last 24 years to think that way. And most things just, for me, just aren't that big of a deal. Yeah, I love yeah, that. That is, that is such a that cool... Big of a deal. You know what? That is such a cool way to think. And <laughs> I, I love that because I, I feel like people... I, I feel like people there's something inside of people and it, and it wasn't 
and I don't want to be that guy. Back in my day, we did we walked ten miles uphill to school, you know, something like that. But but it feels like in the last decade or so that that we have become a society that if we can't post it on Facebook or we can't share it on Instagram or hey look where I went on vacation or look what look what I just bought or look what I just did you know we never grew up like that obviously we didn't have social media but my mom and dad always told me don't tell everything you know right don't tell everything you know there are some things that you should keep to yourself and my grandmother always said look you know even when you don't have a lot of money and material things you can still be clean you can still take care of yourself you can still you 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 know you don't have to have a lot of money to look like a million bucks to be well you to to present yourself well and I love what you said there because we are living and here's where I want to go with this conversation to tap into now the inventor part of your brain, because, mm -hmm. because I feel like that we are in a world today where there is so much iteration and there are so many things that people want us to buy and do and be a part of and, and, and things like that. It almost feels overwhelming and, and people have said, and forgive me for the long-winded question, but people are like, well, how many downloads do you have on your podcast? How many books did you sell? There's millions of podcasters. There's millions of podcasts. There are millions of authors now. You know, it doesn't matter to me. As an inventor, I want to ask you this. Where does that continuous need for new and improved and latest and greatest. Where do you believe that comes from? Because I'm having a hard time. I don't have that wiring in my brain like you do. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where that that concept tends to come from. And you being an inventor are the perfect person to ask. Where do you believe that comes from? I think that it is a God-given talent. I have, I don't, like, I, my husband, I'll, I'm going to use him for example. He finds a problem, and then he just accepts the problem the way it is. I find a problem, and I've got to find a solution. There's got to be a better way. And I've always been like that. Ever since I was, my mother tells me stories about being in the basement, you know, dad's workshop in the garage, and I wanted a pool table, and I, of course, they couldn't afford to get me a pool table, so I took some of this. It's called, we call it Frankensteining stuff together. So you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Well, over here, we call it hillbilly engineering. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> We're a little more citified over in the yeah, Eastern. Yeah, well, yeah, you guys yeah. are in the Eastern yeah, Panhandle, you know, so, yeah. In, in Martinsburg. And, and so I've always been, like, a uh, creative type. I'm a seamstress by trade, also a God-given. I don't remember anybody ever teaching me how to sew. My mother was a seamstress. My sister, my grandmother, uh, my my grandmother was very artistic and very creative. Let's go there for a minute. I love where I, I love that that part of the conversation. Okay, and, and and forgive me for jumping in there. One of the things that I learned, and and I have two younger sisters. In our family, it's me and my wife and my 21-year-old son and our 21-year-old son. If anything needs sewn, 
I sew it. <laughs> if anything it. needs ironed, I iron it. My mom decided when I was about 14 or 15, mm-hmm. my mom, and my mom married young. My mom and dad married at 18 and 16. My mom was 16 when she married my dad, mm-hmm. 17 when she had me. But my mom just had a, a foundational common sense where she said, you're going to need to know some basic things. I learned, somebody taught me how to sew. I can thread a needle. I don't do, I'm not a professional seamstress, but if I have a rip or I need a button sewn on, I can do it. Mm-hmm. It's not pretty, but it's it's functional. <laughs> I can make scrambled eggs. I can, my mom was intentional about teaching me some basic things. Why have we gone away from those foundational things that, because I love you, you you're, and I'm so jealous of people that have that talent that, that can be seamstresses because Lord knows I have needed pants let out and things like that over the years. I've needed those things and I've had to pay for them. And I've always been fascinated by people that can do those kinds of things. Did that always come naturally to you? Were you taught to do that? And why why is it that we're missing some of those foundational basics that would help us further along in in life and society well i think it's like anything i don't i don't first of all i don't ever remember being taught how to sew i never i just knew how to do it it's like somebody that knows how to play the piano or somebody my son is a fantastic artist he blows me away with the things that he does his son had my grandson has the gift i can't draw a stick figure i mean so I think that was just a God-given talent, and I believe everybody has ones. I'll tell you a quick story. I had a I had a customer. This is a great story. I had a customer come in, and he had his father passed away, and he needed to rent a suit, and he was kind of down on his luck. I think he had maybe just got out of prison, did a little bit of you know jail time, not prison, but jail time. And for some reason, he just sat across the table from me and he started talking. And my first thought was, I don't have time for this. I have too much to do. But then there was a reason I had to sit down and listen to him. And he said he was looking for a job. And I said, well, what do you do? What do you do? What's your God-given gift? And he said, well, I don't do anything. Here he starts to tell me that his parents were both deaf. And I said, you know, sign language. And when you're, when you grow up with deaf parents, you're in a whole different level. And about a week prior to that, I had a customer come in that taught sign language. And so I got to connect the two together. So my point being on this story is that I believe that we all have some talent that was given to us. It's finding the talent. Maybe the talent is is writing is a writer maybe the talent is a seamstress maybe the talent is sign language maybe the talent is you know being a professional speaker maybe it's writing books maybe it's who knows what it is but we all the talent but we have to hone you know i had to hone in on it sewing comes so easily to me i'm 60 years old now so my hands aren't working as well as they used to when that repetitive motion over and over again. So I've slacked off, you know, I've, I've cut down on a little bit. I still do some of it, but I don't ever remember learning how to sew. It just comes natural. And it's, and I'm an alterations expert. So alterations are completely different. 
than sewing something from scratch. Right. It's like you can be a mechanic or you can work on Fords or you can work on Mercedes or you can, you know, you're still a mechanic. Well, it's so a difference I, between being an yeah. auto mechanic and a diesel mechanic. Exactly. There, there's two different, exactly. there's two different, uh, yeah. those engines work two totally different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with alterations, I, you come into me, you bring something into me. I have to disassemble it and put it back together. <laughs> and there are no instructions for that. Yeah. So that's what, that's what I do. That's what I've gotten really, really good at. I haven't been doing as much uh, as it cause my hands, but, okay, but I just so think it's a God given talent. So you, you bring up, you, you're, you're going where, where I wanted to go. And, and let me just dig a little deeper here. Okay. We seem to, in this society, instead of taking a pair of pants to someone that does alterations, we find in this society it's easier just to buy a new pair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We find it easier just to, when the car isn't working right, we, oh, let's trade it off. Let's just do something else. I feel like in our society, Dana, and this is where I wanted to go with you before we, we take a break and dive into your story, because you're really, really hitting on something good here. It's almost as if our society wants to trash good things that still have a lot of value, because you mentioned in alterations, you disassemble things and you put them back together mm -hmm. the way your customer wants them or the way they need to be if if it's you know for guys if it's letting out a pair of pants or taking in a jacket something like that you're basically taking that apart and putting it back together to a new form of what it is that that customer desires am i am i i'm thinking along yeah. the the right yeah. lines there how is it, so i want you to put your inventor hat on for a minute is that causing detriment in our society or, or does it open up new opportunities? Because I think to myself, and here's where I'm going with this. I, I feel like we have got in our society repo, the relentless pursuit of stuff. Mm. We're always pursuing the next thing or, oh my goodness. Um, and I'll give you a perfect example. I didn't realize last summer how hard it would be to find a new webcam. <laughs> Everybody in the world was looking for webcams. Yeah. Now it's it's easier, but but again, it feels like at times when we're getting ready to go into the Christmas season where it's it's like, oh man, we gotta have, you know, little Johnny or little Susie wants the new Xbox or they want a new PlayStation 5 or they want to do this or they want to do that. Oh, we got to get some new clothes because it's winter time. And the, the clothes we bought last year are not as stylish and fashionable as they were last year. Is that a good, and again, I, I, you've gone through that process of inventing a product and getting it to market and things like that. So you're the perfect person to ask this. Are we, are we going down a slippery slope with the relentless pursuit of stuff or, or are we opening up new opportunities that, that previously didn't exist? Um, hmm, that's a really good question. I think, I think we're going down a slippery slope, especially when, um, we have this, I'm going to use this word. I don't know if it's appropriate disease of more, more, Ooh, I like that more, everybody wants more. And, and we know that, um, from 
from the the brain that when we go buy something out it triggers the you know the pleasure sensors in our brain and but it doesn't last very long so then we want to go find more um our children and i'm going to talk about talk about my grandchildren yeah um and we weren't like that like we didn't you know when we were younger and i know i think you're a little bit younger than me but you know you didn't get new stuff every time you turned around you got so many presents for christmas and you made them last and not in this you know my when i go into my grandson's room there is so much stuff it's like how can you even think you have so much stuff yeah and then he plays with that for a little bit and he wants more i don't ever buy this is gonna sound terrible i don't buy presents for my grandchildren i don't buy physical presents for my grandchildren i will buy them a and you'll i'm from pittsburgh originally i will buy them a pass to the zoo for this for the for the season i will buy them a pass a family pass to the arts the children's art museum uh, last year right before COVID, i bought them a pass to kennywood they never got to use it because of COVID. but um you know i will buy them things to make memories yeah because they don't need any more we don't we really don't need any more stuff well and i'm guilty of it i mean i'm guilty of wanting nice things yeah dana yeah. i said that to a friend of mine on this on on his pod his podcast a friend of mine named brad norwood brad's been on i've been on brad's podcast he's been on mine mm -hmm. we talked about and we talked about incentive trips and things like that and and you know in sales there are times that you get these incentive trips mm -hmm. and and things like that and i told brad one time i said the beauty of a trip is a trip doesn't burn up in a fire you know, you have that memory. Yeah. You have that that oh yeah. And 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 as long as your memory is good and you're not suffering from any kind of disease like Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that, mm -hmm. then you're able to instantly call that memory at any time. You can physically put it in your hand, even if anything that you might have bought a souvenir or something like that, even if you, you can't find it or you threw it away or it wore out, something like that. You can always put that memory right there in the front. And I love that, that you are thinking that uniquely. And I was thinking of an acronym as you were talking. The disease of obtaining more. D-O-O-M. Because you're right. You're 100. And I love where you took us there. That's good. I, well, no, you, you took us there. I love where you took us there because that disease of obtaining more will cause you financial ruin. It will cause you to to not have things you need because you traded it for things you wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm really, I, I love where you took us in that conversation, in that part of it. And I wanted to pick your brain there because you understand the marketplace, not only as a small business owner, because part of what you do is creating demand, but also a part of what you do is that you, um, as an inventor, you understand the market and where your product may or may not fit in the market. So mm -hmm. I, I, that perspective was invaluable. And folks, if you get nothing out of this, I hope this conversation makes you think because it's making me think, how do I keep myself from, from just being in the relentless pursuit of stuff and causing me to have doom, the disease of obtaining more. I love that. That is because so there's weird. never going to be enough. 
No, that, Dana, that, that, wow. I, I, let me step aside right there because there's nothing else that I can add. That is the, I, I would drop this microphone, but it's on an arm stand. Yeah. So just mic drop. Yeah. That, that yeah. is because you're right. It, there, there is never enough. Let's step aside, take a break. When we come back, I want to leave some room for Dana's story. You're going to want to hear this. I mean, so powerful. My guest, inventor, speaker, business owner, Dana Knowles, joins me on the Intentional Courage Podcast. Back in a moment. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector, You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up, Kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Okay, Dana, let's dive into your story here real quick. And I want to leave some room and time to share your story. You've got an, uh, an incredible, powerful story. Take me as far back as you want to go and just fire away. The floor is yours. All right. Thank you. This is everything I've achieved over the last 24 years is, is wonderful. But um, I think more people are blown away at, at where I was at prior to 1997. I, I mentioned I came from Pittsburgh and I grew up and I had a wonderful family, you know, great mother, great father. Dinner was on the table, six o'clock every evening, camping, pool in the backyard, uh, you know, dog, older brother, older sister. I was the baby. And um, when I was about 12 years old, uh, I was sexually molested by a family friend or maybe not a family friend. And I soon, uh, not being able to live with the guilt, the shame, thinking maybe it was my fault, not really knowing what I was thinking. Um, I picked up my first drink when I was 13 and that led me to smoking pot and taking pills and, um, you know, causing troubles with my family and my mother. And she didn't know what to do with me and dropping out of high school and getting pregnant and being married to my first abusive husband and, um, I found the seedy life of exotic dancing and uh, prostitution, and it was just a big spiral downhill of drugs and alcohol. I had a child in the mix, so I, I was towing him around uh, in a lot of places that I, I look at him sometimes. He's a 41-year-old wonderful man with a 
beautiful wife and three beautiful children and he's a great provider and I look at him and say where'd you get that from because it didn't come from me and um so I I had been married three times uh they were all abusive I tended to pick up I tended to be attracted to guys who just got out of prison for shady things or one of my husbands was a fugitive from Ohio and uh in in 1997, uh, well, somewhere in the early 90s, I was a full-blown, like full-blown alcoholic, uh, drinking every morning to function, uh, physically addicted to it, um, a lot of drugs. Thank goodness that I'm sober in this day and age, because I could only imagine that I would be going down the heroin path, for sure. It just wasn't prevalent back in my world when I was ripping and running. Dana, I got to ask you this, if you yeah. don't mind me asking you this. Yeah. You you mentioned you grew up in a home out in the in the Pittsburgh area, mm-hmm. and you said, you know, I came home and and there was dinner on the table. There was, you know, a, a typical what I would say normal American family mm-hmm. in quotation in air quotes. Absolutely. When when the abuse happened, I know it shattered your world. Was it hard for you to tell the people that you loved what had happened to you? And did you ever get to share that with your family? Because some people hide that. And and, and I've had one of my guests, um, Josh Deshay, mention that he had a similar situation. He was seven when it happened to him. And he carried it and, and hid it very well for a lot of years from his family and things like that. And so I've had folks on this podcast that have gone through similar situation. What happened in your life that made you pivot to, to things that were, that were destructive and and harmful to you? Was it that you were trying to bury it or was it that you were rebelling? What was going on in your mind and in your life at that time that, that made you pivot in that, that harmful direction? Oh, well, I never told anybody about it. That was just, you know, and he was a, he was a um, retired state trooper. And he said, you, nobody will believe you. Don't tell anybody. And I was 12, you know, I don't know. So I didn't, I never told anybody about it, but what I learned, I, I picked up my first drink shortly after that and the pain went away. And I found my answer. We talked, I talked a little bit about the dopamine in our brain and, you know, so the pain went away and I wanted more and I wanted more. And I found, you know, drugs and alcohol and to take that pain away. And it was the guilt, the shame, and it was anger. I was angry at my parents, not for allowing it to happen because they never allowed it to happen. I was angry at them because it happened and they didn't protect me. But after I got sober in 1997 and really took a look back my mother couldn't my mother and father couldn't protect me from something that they didn't know was happening and so i i lived a very very seedy life i i checked myself into treatment in uh september 3rd 1997 september 4th 1997 
And uh, I remember when I woke up in rehab and thought, oh my gosh, what did I do? I drank myself into rehab. I was on an 18 hour blackout run. That was, you know, you're drinking, but you don't remember anything. I had done that so many other times, but this particular morning was different. And I don't know what was different. I, di I didn't get arrested. I didn't lose my children. I mm. didn't lose, um, you know, a job, but I had started drinking about 12 noon on the one day and I had drank for 18 hours and I woke, I came to at, in somebody's house. I didn't know where I was at. I didn't know what town I was in. And that was normal for me. That was nothing. That was not a surprise, but this time it was different. Something was different about this time. This time I was so, I, I wasn't suffering physical consequences, but I was so sickened inside. My soul was so sick. And I, I kind of laugh because anybody who's listening, whoever um, experienced what I experienced, uh, they, um, you know, they have GPS now. So if you go into blackout, you don't know where you're at. You just look at your phone. If you still have your phone, we had to get in the car and drive. Yeah. And make sure yeah. we were in the right. Like, and we would look at license plates and say, okay, okay, good. I'm in Pennsylvania still. Don't quite know what town I'm in, but. So I'm you in so that day, September 4th, 1997, yeah. do you consider that? And here's where I want to go with this. There are days in our life, like, you know, from, from my wife and I, October 25th, 1996, our wedding anniversary, mm -hmm. our son's birthday, things like that. Do you consider that day a rebirth day in your life? And, and when that day comes around every year, how do you, what happens inside of you? And, and you mentioned my book a little bit ago. And I appreciate you doing that. December 6th is a watershed day for me. That's the day my dad passed away. So every year on the 6th, I, I, I do something a little bit different. I, I do something. I released the book last year on that day intentionally because I wanted that day to be a celebration, not a, 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 a downer, things like that. What does September 4th, what, what happens to you every year on September 4th when that day comes around? Well, I think... On that day, September 4th, is when <clears throat> I cried out to God for help. Because I had I was at my last, I, I was at my last straw. I didn't know what to do. It was either, it was either get help or blow my brains out. Cause there was no, like I couldn't live like this anymore. I was drinking constantly. Every day I was drinking. I physically needed it. And I reached out to God for help. And the old prayer, God help me. <laughs> Cause I didn't know what else to say. And I found myself in treatment and then I found myself homeless after treatment. I was living in a woman's shelter. Um, and then I just started to reinvent my life and recreate my life. And it took a long time. And that's when you talked about the mindset. I started getting gratitude for what I had. I remember being in the woman's shelter and thanking God for a roof over my head, food on my food in my belly and clothes on my back. And 24 years later, I still, Thank God for the roof over my head, food in my belly and clothes on my back. So on September 5th is really kind of my first day, my first 24 hours without any alcohol. Um, I don't know. I celebrate every day. I mean, that day is a big day. Right. Big yeah. Day. Like another year. I call my counselor. I let her know I made another year. Um, but every day is a celebration that I'm not living that life that I used to live because yeah. I was living a hell. And then I had to, 
Then I had to work on the guilt, the shame of all the things I had done in my past that I was not worthy to be loved. I wasn't worthy to be successful. Um, and, and I started to reinvent and recreate my mind and start thinking different. I started hanging around with good people, good, positive people, people that were always looking at the glass half full, spiritual people. And over the years, I've reinvented myself and it didn't happen overnight, but I give praise to God 100%, first and foremost, because I believe that that when I was drinking and I was out there in that muck of a world that I was plucked, and I like to, I'm glad you can see me, I was plucked from yeah. here and I was dropped over here and I was dropped and then it was the gift that was giving to me and now what am I gonna do with it? Am I gonna squander it? And every, when I was drinking for all those years and drugging for all those years and doing all that stuff I knew I shouldn't have been doing, I had dreams of becoming an inventor. I had dreams of becoming a, a professional speaker. I had dreams of doing things like this. And now that I'm, I'm, I'm back, I got my, you know, my feet firmly planted on the ground. I'm, I'm doing well. I have a fantastic marriage. I have my health. That something I learned, you talk so much in your book about what your father taught you. And that book made me think so much about what my mother taught me. My mother's profound words were, don't live in the what if, Dana. Don't live in the what if. You don't want to wake up one day when you're 90 years old, sitting on your front porch, God will, and you live that long and say, boy, what if? What if I would have invented that I that hanging shower caddy? What if I would have tried to be a, a you know inspirational speaker? And yeah. so here I am, twenty four years later. I gotta go here. I gotta go. I gotta go here for for just a second. Okay. I am as you're telling this story, and this is something I do. I don't know if everybody else does it, but something I do as people tell stories on this podcast, I try to put myself in that moment. Of, of kind of watching the story unfold. Here's where I want to go with this real quick. What would 60-year-old today's Dana, if you had seen yourself on the side of the road, or if you had seen yourself before September 5th, if you had seen yourself out somewhere, what would you have said to, to that Dana how would you have put your arm around her? What what would you have said to her to try to help her understand what she was going through in that moment and where the rest of her life, how it was going to look and shape? Have you ever thought about that, that question? Because I think about if I could go back 10 years and I could put my arm around 39-year-old Brian, or 29-year-old Brian. I really would like to go back to 25-year-old Brian, newly married, and say, number one, you need a butt kicking. And two, you need to figure some things out. You really need to figure some things out right now because, you know, the rest of your life is going to be... And, and Dana, forgive me for again for a long-winded question, but here's why I'm setting, why I'm setting this up. You, for the last 15 years or so, 20 years, have been in an impact zone. And we all have them in our lives where we are just, 
you know, we're, we're, we're impacting people. You've done it with your business, your invention. How many wonderful memories have you made because of Dana's tuxedo? How many days have you impacted because of what you do? And, and how many people have you impacted through speaking and telling your story? You'll impact people that listen to this podcast telling your story. We're all in an impact zone. For me, it's been in my 40s. The impact zone's been in my 40s. That's why I would like to go back to 39-year-old me and go, buckle up, buttercup, you know, because there's some things that are going to happen to you in the next several years you got to be prepared for. If you could go back to to putting your arm around Dana before you went into treatment, what would you say to her? That is a deep, deep question. Because, well, of course, I would probably say, what are you doing? Why are you messing up your life? You have so much more potential. But that's what my mother used to say to me all the time. <laughs> you know? What are you doing? Yeah, you exactly. So you kind of want to kick yourself in the rear yeah. end and go, yeah, yeah. you know, but, dummy. But you you know. know what? This is this is the thing. When you say that, I keep going back to saying, I do not regret anything I did. I don't regret because, you know, what? everything I did brought me to where I'm at today. And so I embrace so many times we want to beat ourselves up for our past and we made all these mistakes and we did all this stuff. Yeah. I want to teach people to embrace your embrace your hot messness embrace your past bring it into the future and help others or help yourself with it so i don't really know i mean there's a hundred things i could have said to myself i was so screwed up for so many years that you know but but to me i probably would go back even further before i was screwed up <laughs> like when i was 18 and said to myself, when you're 18, you're so beautiful and you are so smart. You yeah. can do anything you want. Once I started drinking, there was no, it was just, I was off to the races. But if, and I say this, I, I do this to, to younger um, people that come in. I deal with mostly men here at Dana's Tuxedos. And I always tell them, embrace your uniqueness. You can be anything you want. And because nobody ever told me that nobody really ever told my mother kind of wanted me to do what she wanted me to do. And, but that's, I, I, I don't shut the door on the past. I don't, I don't regret anything that I did. I don't regret it. It was nasty. It was ugly. It was dirty. It was messy. But if I didn't go through all of that, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I love who I am today. Yeah. Man, that's so good. Share with, with this audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement because we unpacked a lot of stuff <laughs> and 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 i feel like you 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 naturally went to the question that i would have asked you was you know the biggest obstacle you overcame you 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 walked us through that beautifully and i i'm appreciative of that what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement my biggest piece of intentional encouragement is what my mother shared with me when you have that something in the back of your head that's gnawing at you that you want to do because you have a passion for doing it, play that tape the whole way through. Sitting on your front porch when you're 90 years old, you don't want to be saying to yourself, what if I would have? And that's my biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Wow. Yeah, because what if is a question that... And Dana... Let me go here for just a, a brief minute. 
I, I'm grateful that you mentioned my book. You didn't have to. It was great. But, Just, I, yeah, it was well, good. Well, that here's the thing. I got to the point at the start of 2020, and I said, it's now or never. I've yeah. been playing around with the book. And, and it's now or never. And I had to, I had to have that, that moment that, that, you know, V8 moment of, okay, let's get it done. And I'm so glad I did it because I was telling, and I hate to keep name dropping, but I was telling a mutual friend of ours, Bob Sager, Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that for me, that moment when I got the shipment and I opened it and I held it in my hand for the first time, it was emotional for me because I had poured my emotions. There were times that I was writing that I've wiped tears away from my eyes. And so for me, that moment was just emotional, like, okay, it's here. It's finally here. And so everybody has those different moments and things like that. And so I'm grateful to you. Tell folks how they can get connected to you, how they can find your resources, tell them where they can find your product. Because I'm product. thinking now myself, I'm thinking to myself, now I got to have a shower caddy. I had never I thought I, about it. I don't it. have one with me. I don't have one with me yeah. to show. That's yeah. terrible. Um, yeah, they're being sold on Amazon right now. I think we just hit 400 five-star reviews. They're on a lot of other platforms. It's by a company called Grand Fusion Housewares. So if you go on Amazon and type in Grand Fusion Housewares shower caddy, it'll pop up. It's a mesh hanging shower caddy that retail for $9.99. Um, and also on my website, DanaKnowlesInspires.com. You can read a lot more about me and see some other podcasts that I've been on and, and, a, and a more in-depth bio of me. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, Dana Knowles. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Keeping yeah, it, keep get that it. shower caddy. You know, you, you don't realize that you need a good shower caddy until yeah. you need a good shower caddy. But Dana, this has been awesome. Um, again, we I intentionally went a little long today because there was so much we were unpacking. And I love when conversations happen that way. And so, but it's an honor to have you on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And my sincere thanks to you today. Well, thank you, Brian. I really appreciated it. My fellow West Virginian. I'm not going to sing Country Roads. No, <laughs> well, they play, listen, the school up north plays that song all the time. So, you know, and I bleed green and white. So it's, yes. you know, so it, yeah. it is what it is. So Dana, thank you this morning for being with me on the Intentional Courage podcast. Thank you, Brian. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.